we do have um, the potential for a nursery. So somebody wants to use uh, the nursery, um, we have that. Abby will be um, working that in the back. So um, for the rest of us, we have been going through the subject, if you would, of knowing God this year. And uh, we have considered um, the concept of knowing God from many different angles. We have looked at the existence and exclusiveness of God, that is, that God is and that He is the only God. We have considered as well the uh, composition of God, that God is one, He is one God, and yet He is three, that God um, is three parts, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then we've considered the attributes of God, looking at His natural attributes, His vocational attributes, and His moral attributes in each one. Four weeks ago, I was gone for two weeks, so two, two weeks prior to that, we moved into our final segment of um, looking at God, and that is we want to consider the desires of God, which is many times referred to now as the will of God, the will of God. And we talked about the fact that we all have many desires. And um, the reality is that as we have those desires, they, they all have a different priority, if you would, um, in our life. And the one that is the greatest of the moment is the one that's going to be expressed and by our decisions, by the things that we do, by what is perceived to be our will. This is my will at this moment. It's the same thing with God. God has many desires. And when we talk about then the will of God, we're really talking about the, what the will of God is. And we'll see that in a moment when we look at those words as a review. But we saw as, a, as an intro to Psalms, and uh, just suffice it for this week, Psalm 135, 5-6 says, For I know that Yahweh is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, He does, in heaven and in earth, and in the seas and all the deep places. And the point is that God is sovereign. God is overall in charge. He has all power. He is limitless in all that He does. And therefore, God can do whatever He wants to do. Whatever He wills or desires to do. And we saw then that in the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there were certain words that were used for the will of God. When we talk about the will of God, and in the, in the Greek, it's the word bulamai or bule, and thelo or theleme, uh, thelema. And you can see the differences. We talked about those, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now, but they both refer to having a will. The bulame, bule, refers more to the concept of counsel, whereas the thelo is the one that refers more to desire. And it's the word thelo that we talk about many times as the will of God. Whenever you refer to the will of God, it's really the word thelo that you're referring to. It's really then talking about the desire of God. And those come back into the Old Testament as the word chafetz and ratzon and then etzah. And so you can see ratzon is to will, to be disposed, be minded, chafetz, to incline, to bend, to delight, to desire, etzah, to counsel, advice. And basically as a whole meaning what? This is your desire. This is your will. This is what you'd like to see happen. The word counsel and advice makes sense in all that because when someone asks what you think should be done, you're going to tell them what? What your will is, what your desires would be. Okay. Today, we want to, um, as well, uh, sorry, review importance of Christ. We saw how important this was to Jesus talking about the will of God because he said that my food is to do the will, the thelema of him who sent me. And then we saw as well the importance it should be to us. Okay, and This is just a re- quick review. Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will, or the desires, if you would, of my Father in heaven. 1 John 2, this is part of our memory verses 
these next two months. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will or desires of the Father, of God, abides forever. So this should be a big deal to us, to know the will of God. God says this, it's, a, it's you know, God himself, Jesus on the earth, the incarnate presence of God on the earth said, the ones who do the will of my Father, those are the ones who will be there. Okay? So, the question is, as we asked then um, three weeks ago, so what is the will of God? What is God's desires that I should um, be applying into my life? First, we saw that the primary one is the exaltation of his per- person. And that's what we talked about three weeks ago. We talked about that God's primary desire is the exaltation of his person. We refer to that as what? The glory of God. Okay? And so, we see in John 4, 23-24, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is what? He's seeking. It's an active thing. He's not sitting back hoping it's going to happen, but he's seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God's desire is that we exalt him, that we worship him. And in our worship and in our exaltation exaltation of him, he wants it to be done how? In spirit and in truth. Okay? That's an important thing. We didn't talk about it a lot back then, so this is just a real quick aside. And that is when we do the when we exalt God and when we worship God, God has a has a defined way that he wants that done. He wants it done in truth. There are a lot of churches that are meeting out there and who proclaim to be what? Worshiping God. And I'm not saying we've got the exclusiveness here. You know, the, the way we do it is exactly how God has prescribed it. He doesn't prescribe it. But the point is, he desires it to be real. Focused on who? On him, not on on us. And that's a real struggle for us sometimes in our worship. You know, to not focus on ourselves, but really to keep it focused on him in the beauty of his holiness. Okay? So the exaltation of his person. Today we want to look at the next two of these, um, these desires of God. And the first one we're going to look at is the fact of the creation of all things. That when God um, desires his exaltation, the very first thing, primary thing, in this exaltation, in this, the glorying of God, that God likes to be glorified for, is being the creator. We talked about that way back when we talked about um, the, the, the attributes of God and the, the things that he's referred to, his, his vocational attributes, the fact that he is the, the creator. And one of the very first and foremost things that he wants to be exalted for, then, is, is to be the creator of all things. And so in that, he has a desire. It's part of his desire is to, to be the creator of all things. Okay? Revelation chapter 4, this is in the throne room of God, and we see the, the worship of God happening, and we see in the beginning of verse 8 it says, The four living creatures, and each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 reminds you of Isaiah chapter 6, right? Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their thrones, their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, O Lord, to be what? To be exalted. 
You're worthy, O Lord, for your primary desire to be fulfilled. Why? For you created all things, and by your, no, by your will, by your desire, did you say desire, or did you say power? Power. Yeah, yeah. By your desire, they exist and were created. Now, this is important for us to get a whole, to, to grasp onto it. I want to move on to the third point here, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But it is expressly God's desire for you to be who you are. We just read in our in our um, our Bible reading this morning. We'll come back to Psalm one thirty nine in a moment. But that I am fearfully and what. Wonderfully made. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, we read, and you all know this passage, right? And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the the fowl of the air. God said, let us make man in our image. Now listen, God had made a whole lot of stuff before that, hadn't he? I mean, he made the heavens and the earth. He made the seas and 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 the dry land. He made the the, the, the vegetation, he made the fruit, he made the, the birds of the air, he made the, the, um, the fish of the sea, he made all the beasts of the earth, he made all the, the creeping things. And to which of those did he say, I want to make them like me? Not a one. But only when it came to his crowning creation, and that is man, mankind, did he say, let us make man in our image. We saw in John 4 just a moment ago that God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. God made man differently than all of his other creation. It is only man that he made in his image and then in his likeness, giving him what? Dominion. Dominion. God has blessed man. And we talked about this way back in February, March. Okay, so you can go back and listen to that message for, for a full, fuller explanation of all this. But God has given man the privilege the blessing of having a will, of making decisions. There's a lot of battle over uh, free will of man and, and, and um, election and um, foreknowledge and predestination. And I believe strongly in election. I believe strongly in the free will of man. And people say, you can't. I said, the Bible teaches it. I believe it. I don't have to be the one who knows how to what? Bring it together. I just know that God continually throughout his word presents to man a choice. From the Garden of Eden all the way through Israel, all the way through the New Testament to me today, God presents a choice. And I believe God is true in his choices. Now, as we look at, though, the desires of God, understand that these desires, okay, are, are, are going to be weighed here, okay? And so the, the, God's primary desire is that he what? He be glorified, okay? That he's exalted. In the exaltation, the very first thing that we see that he desires to be glorified for is what? As the creator. As the creator. And in that, the, the, the greatest part of his creation is mankind, who he made to be in the image and likeness of God. And we don't, can't go through all that, but you can look at all the other the, the verses. I put a couple cross-references there on your sermon note sheet, and again, you can go to that, back to that message from the Psalms, where it talks about that same word dominion as talking about God having dominion. And if you believe that God is sovereign, if God has dominion, then the same word is applied to us as, his, as mankind. Okay? And so, 
man has a dominion. Man has the ability to rule. Man has the ability to make decisions. It's like a little s, if you would. Sovereign. God has the what? The big S. Because he overrules all things. I can decide I'm going to have spaghetti today. Or, as it is for lunch, we're going to have, Lord willing, we're going to have stuffed peppers. But the stuffed peppers are right now in the crock pot. Now, when we go home, we'll find out if we're really having stuffed peppers or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Because God could overrule. You know, I've already invited Tom over for the day. Tom's saying, I sure hope the uh, stuffed peppers make it. Okay. <laughs> he didn't tell me what the what time B was. Anyways. But, but the reality is, I, I can make that call. But as we read, it's always what? Lord willing. Because God is the one who makes the final call. Does that make sense? So in that, this is important. Because by your desire, they exist and were created. The chief of those things that exist are is man. And so, as we read then this morning in Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knit us together in our mother's womb. When does life begin? It's not at birth. At conception. That's exactly right. What a mind-boggling thing. I mean, it is mind-boggling for me, for believers, quote-unquote believers, okay, to even debate the issue. What, a, what an incredible thing. The Assemblies of God, I don't know if you saw, if you, if you get the answers in Genesis newsletters and stuff, but the Assemblies of God just this year, just recently, have changed their, their doctrinal statement that, that no longer do they believe in a creator God. It's okay to believe whatever you want about that. Whereas just in the 1970s, they came out with a very strong statement that, about God being the creator, and that's the only thing the Bible teaches. But now here we are 2010, and they've changed their, their tune on that. One generation later. We talk about the change of generation. Remember we talked about that? The difference a generation can make? And here it is. A major denomination, quote unquote, that has been one of the, at least, you know, we may not agree on certain aspects, but at least on that part of the doctrine, they've hung out on it. But here they are saying, this isn't a major issue. What a shame. What a shame. It is a major issue. Now, how that applies to you and me, as we talked about, is God again made you how he wants you. Remember three weeks ago, if you were here, when we talked about God wanting to be exalted, we talked about God wanting to be exalted even in our infirmities. Do you remember the man who was born blind? And do you remember when they were asking for whose sin? Is he blind? Was he because of his own sin or is it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said what? It's glory to God may be revealed. That God may be glorified at this moment. This guy was blind for 40 years. So that God would be glorified. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a purpose for you. Do you believe that? Are you using what God has given to you For his fullest glory. He made you how you are. For a reason. And it is to glorify him. He made you according to his desire. Romans 9, 16-24 talks about that, that 
that's that passage that we kind of we get a little queasy over because it talks about the sovereignty of God and, and, and God talking about how he made Pharaoh for a particular purpose. Does anybody remember what the purpose that he said that he made Pharaoh for was? Go ahead, say it. To destroy him. There was a purpose for Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the one who hardened his own heart, but we're also told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? And so the, answer, the question is, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Yes. <laughs> they both did. It was God's plan, but Pharaoh did it on his own. But God had a plan, and that what plan was that Israel was going to become enslaved in Egypt. And then they would be what? Delivered. The deliverer would come. We know who the deliverer is now, hindsight being 2020. That was Moses, right? And he delivers them through Passover, which is a symbol of who? Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Before the foundations of the world were laid, we're told, in Ephesians chapter 1, Christ died for our sins. We were chosen in him before the foundations of the world. It's a mind-boggling thing how it all comes together. I don't know, but God has a purpose in the creation, then, of each individual. So it says, so if God chose to create someone in order that his glory through the destruction would be revealed, doesn't God have the right to do that? And the answer is what? Yes, he does. Why? Because he's God. (laughs) It's because he's God. I mean... You know, like, Mom, why do I need to do that? Because I'm Mom. You know, we can talk about the, the rest of it later, but you obey, and then we'll talk. Right now, you do it because I said so. <laughs> I'm Mom. I said so. Go do it. I don't care if you, like the, if, you, if you want to take the garbage out. I don't care if you think it's stinky. I don't care if you, if, if you had to take it out the last five days in a row and your brothers haven't done it for a month. The, the point is, I told you to do what? Take out the garbage. All I want to hear is a jump how high, yes, sir. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm taking the garbage. Later, we can talk about it. Make sense? God has the right. He is sovereign over all the affairs of men and over the entire earth and over all the universe to do what he well pleases. For those who love him and are called according to his name, we ought to grasp that more than anybody else and understand then that God sovereignly has a purpose for my life. And he made me as I am for a reason. And I can struggle. We're getting ready to go out tonight. We're going to talk about salvation here in a moment. We're getting ready to go out and knock on doors tonight at 5 o'clock, right? I am not an evangelist. It is not my, this is not me. Speak, public speaking is not me. I know I've been doing it for almost 20 years, and I can do it, and I don't get as nervous now as I did. I mean, when I first started, I mean, I mean, we won't tell you where my first stop was every morning, okay? I mean, it was just nerves. It was just, it was awful for me to speak, okay? And by the end of the day, I'm exhausted, I don't want to do with anybody. Marcia knows. She gets frustrated with me sometimes because I don't want anything to do with anybody. I just want to go hole up in a, in, a, in a corner of a room someplace and be the introvert that I am. But I know that God has called me and made me the way I am for a reason. Does it make sense? And I know as we move on that God has a desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so... Even though God has fearfully and wonderfully made me and knitted me together in my mother's womb the way that I am, I also understand what the rest of his desires are. And tonight at 5 o'clock, I'm going to go knock on doors. And I'm going to continually try to come over the edge of my um, fear 
of meeting new people, you know, and talk to them and tell them about Jesus Christ because it is the greatest news that anybody could ever have. And I'm so glad that somebody did that with me. Now, this third one is so important. The salvation of all men. It is God's desire. So 1 Timothy 2 says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? All men. For kings and all who are in authority. Does that include President Obama? That you're supposed to be giving thanks for him? You are. Okay? I mean, it's, it's easy. You know, people talk about George Bush. Boy, they were so glad when he became president. But I remember when Bill Clinton was president, too, and I used to tell people, listen, I, don't, I, I hate hearing the bad, the bad talk about the president. We're supposed to honor those who are in authority. Give honor to whom honor is due. Romans 13. There is no authority that has been established except by that which has been established by God. Now, God may have allowed us to have the president that we've chosen, but it doesn't matter. He's still our what? Our president. He's still the leader of the land, and we still what? You should make supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for him. A little aside there. has nothing to do with the message right now. just want to challenge you in that. When's the last time you prayed for your president? You need to do that. Okay? And he says, do all these things. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who what? Who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. It is God's desire for only a few people to be saved. Is that what it says? It's God's desire that only the elect would be saved. It's God's desire that only a few chosen ones would be saved. No. I believe it's God's desire for all men to be saved. And I, I, I told you a month ago or so about be careful of this, the two desires, the two will of God thing that's going on out there. You know, where they try to, to excuse, they try to, to, to work away from the will of God. And, and years ago, I mean, I heard, okay, in a message, someone said, you know, how many of you believe that God can sin? And, you know, da da da. And then they said, therefore, God doesn't have a free will either, and so man doesn't have a free will. If man was made in the image of God and God doesn't have a free will, man doesn't have a free will either. And I'm thinking, that is taking Scripture totally out of context. God, what? Desires, and this is why I spent a long time talking about all these different words from the Greek and the Hebrew, because all these words are interchangeable. It's God's will. It's his desire. It's his thelema. For all men to be saved. It's the same word that we're using in these other places. It doesn't change now. That all of a sudden comes here and it means, well, it really doesn't mean that that's his will here. It just means it's his desire. It's his will that only a few get saved. Even though he desires that everybody gets saved, it's not his will that they do that. And so his will is that he's only going to choose so many. Guys, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I am in the dark here, and I need to be taught better. That just makes no sense to me. Because again, my ultimate desire will come out. Now, as you go then through this this priority of, of... of, of his desires, his ultimate desire is what? That he is glorified. He's glorified as the creator, but he's also glorified as the, as the savior. Okay? And he desires all men to be saved. And then you say, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And so, when God said he had a desire for all men to be saved, you know what the next thing he did was? 
He provided the means for it to happen. What have we been memorizing from 1 John chapter 2? In the last month, we memorized the, the first segment of 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I write these things unto you that, that no one sins. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's the Savior of the whole world. He has paid for the sins of everybody on the earth. Do you get it? Now, I'm not preaching universal salvation here, okay? Because what must you do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and you shall be saved, right? You need to accept what God has done for you. But God did it. God desires all men to be saved, and so he went and he accomplished the task. He himself came to the earth, incarnate in the presence of Jesus Christ, and died on the cross, rose again the third day, so that you could spend eternity with him. And when man doesn't spend eternity in him, it's not because God willed it. Because man chose it. I don't get it. But I know it's true because God's word said it. Does that make sense? If I knew everything that God knew, who would I be? And remember what we saw three weeks ago? Who has been his counselor? Nobody. It's, it's an awesome, that's why the doxology in Romans 11 is there. God is so mind-boggling in the ways he can do things. He's the, he's the conductor of the symphony of life. Don't you, aren't you always amazed sometimes how one action, one event could happen, and it can affect so many different things in a marvelous way? So Rodney, Rodney shares about Dr. Burke. Is it Burke? It is Burke, right? Dr. Burke in, in the accident. We don't know what God can work through that action. Like you even bring it up. You're burdened about the guy who hit him. That's awesome to me. To pray for him. Most people will be doing what? Cussing the guy out. But I remember when we invaded Iraq, telling people you need to be praying for Iraqis. What? Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Do you realize that when we go in there, there are many Afghanis and, Af- and Iraqis who are going to be what? Dying. And they were going to, if they don't know Jesus, what's going to happen? They're going to hell. Do you believe it or not? And we just act like they're just they're non-entities. They're not non-entities. They're eternal souls. And we need to be burdened for them. Because God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's ultimately it. I'm a citizen of heaven. Now, I understand I'm a citizen of the United States, but ultimately my allegiance is where? To the kingdom of God. And I desire the the desires of my king more than I desire the desires of my countrymen. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 10. Hopefully you all know Isaiah 53. And we could read the entire chapter here, but just verse 10 by itself tells us the the importance of God's desire. This is the Father talking about the Son. It says, Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. To bruise who? To bruise Jesus. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahweh shall be prosperous in his hand. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for me. How long were the Father and the Son 
father and son. You can't tell me. I mean, it's so long that you can't, I mean, all we can do is say what? Eternity past. How long is that? Um, real long. Because <laughs> we can't comprehend it. Forever. There was tightness, bonding. And yet God so much wanted all men to be saved that he was willing for that separation, that pain, that anguish to occur. When Jesus was in the garden and he said, Father, if it's any way possible for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, not my desires will be done, but your counsel, your desire, your will to be done. What was he talking about? What was he in anguish over? The separation. I mean, he's anguished probably over the physical pain that's going to come, but he knew he knew what was the end of it. But you know what? There had never been a separation in the Godhead. And yet he loved me. He loved you. He loved every person that he's ever created so much that he was willing to do that. How much do I love my neighbor? Isn't it the greatest commandment to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind? And the second like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Aren't you glad that somebody came and gave you the gospel? Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to die so that you could have a relationship with God? Second Peter 3, let me read it for you. Um, you can turn there if you want. Second Peter 3. Nine, you all know this passage. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not what? Willing that any should perish, but this all should come to repentance. Now, some would say that in that passage that that is only talking about believers. I challenge you to read that chapter. Okay? And, and to honestly look at it. It's not. It's, not, it's talking about the world. Now, he's desiring that that we as believers shouldn't um, walk in sin either. But once you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, can you perish? You can't perish. Do you get it? I mean, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, is there a possibility that you can perish? Romans chapter 8 says what? There is neither height nor death nor principalities or powers or angels or, or famines or earthquakes or sword or any all these things that can what? Separate us from the love of God. You are more than conquerors. The passage is talking about God's desire for the world. He's long-suffering. He's holding off the wrath so that people can come to him. Ezekiel 18 talks about um, that God has no desire to see the wicked slain. You can read that later and, and, and look at that. And he says it again in chapter 33, verse 11. Yes, God has no desire. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, when I say Matthew 18, many of us will think what? What's the context of Matthew 18? Church discipline. Church discipline, that's what we all think. However, um, in the midst of it, he gives an intensity of what he thinks about 
causing people to stumble and offend. And in verse 10, beginning of verse 10, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains seeking the one that was straying? And if he should find it, surely I say to you, he rejoices moreover that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will, desire, of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should what? Perish. It is not the desire, it is not the will of God that any one of those children in CEF club at Westmont Elementary School should go to hell. It's not God's desire that any child in the city of Augusta should go to hell. It's not God's desire that any child in the United States should go to hell. Do you get it? Should perish. But he desires for them all what? To be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. We as believers are referred to as ambassadors of Christ. We have the message of reconciliation. He has placed us in the world. He has allowed us to be here. He has created us the way He has created us to give Him glory by sharing the good news of salvation with those we come in contact with. Can God lead people to Himself without using us? Yes. How did Paul ultimately get saved? By the light coming down on the road to Damascus, right? But note what Jesus said when he came to Paul in that miraculous manner. He said to Paul, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the nudgings, against the urgings that have been going on in your life. Where was Paul on the day that Stephen was stoned? Holding the coats of the people who were stoning him. He listened to the whole testimony in witness of Stephen. I believe that part of the prickings that Paul had was what happened to Stephen. And how Stephen, when he was being stoned, looked up and said, I see the heavens parting in Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And when everybody else was gnashing their teeth, wanting to grind them at them and, and charging against them to kill them, I'm thinking that Paul's sitting there going, what was that about? You know? And, and you have one of two ways to respond when you're convicted, right? You're either going to what? Give in, or you're going to what? Harden and fight back. What do we know happened to Paul after the stoning of Stephen? He intensified. Uh, yeah, he, he became really hardened and, 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 and viral, if you would, against the church. And that's why he's on to Damascus. But the entire time, there was, a, there was a, a nagging at him. And God was wooing him. God was drawing him. God was dragging him. God was pricking him. The Holy Spirit was doing his job. Convicting him of righteousness, judgment, and sin. But Jesus knew he had a special purpose for Paul, and so he gave him the extra special touch. <laughs> boom, boom, you know, and said, now, stop it. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Quit kicking against the pricks and give in. Aren't you glad that he didn't do that to you? I mean, how many of you were blinded 
by God just so that you come to, you know. <laughs> you know? Well, so, so he uses Paul. God has this desire for all ones to be saved. He has it's his desire, not a little one should perish. He has given us the privilege of going out and representing him. I praise God for the burden he's laid upon Marcia and Kelly's heart and, um, and the teens that are going. And uh, I praise God for the open door that he's given us at Westmont Elementary School. There are other groups that are going into other churches or other schools as well. But think about it. How many people are here this morning? 50 maybe? Maybe? If I'm stretching it? You know, pastors are supposed to stretch a little bit, right? So we'll, we'll make it 60. No, anyways, since we're on the tape, we got 150 people here this morning. Anyways, we're small. Anybody see Devin right now? Devin's not here. Do you know where Devin's at? He's in Sumter. At the Sumter YDC. He's ministering to, to the youth in Sumter right now. Does anybody know anything else about Dr. Steve other than he's a pediatrician? The best one in town, by the way. Anyways. Steve serves with Release Time Ministries, which in Richmond County gets to goes into the public schools to teach the Bible. We're such a small little church. Do you get it? Do you understand what I'm saying? From the world's perspective, this little grouping is what? Is meaningless. I was telling Tom earlier, I have the opportunity every year to go to Canada and lead an international men's retreat and father-son retreat. Now, some years we only may have four guys go. Some years we may have, one year we have 42 guys go. What a privilege it is. I get to speak at Awana conferences, to be an influence over thousands of people. There's only 40 of us sitting here. But God has given us, do you get it? A special privilege to be ambassadors of his reconciliation, of his good news. You don't know what that person he's placed in your life is going to be. Could you imagine the shoe salesman up in Massachusetts? You're saying, what shoe salesman in Massachusetts? The one who led D.L. Moody to the Lord. And think about the guy who led the shoe salesman to the Lord. He only led a shoe salesman to the Lord. Who happened to be the guy that God used to lead D.L. Moody to the Lord. Do you get what I'm saying? It's our calling. We can be a part of God's desires to be a part of this great and awesome privilege. John 1, 12, 13, we're, we're told that, that God has given us the privilege, the authority to be called what? The sons of God. Not according to what? Our own will, but according to his will, the desire of God. Listen, you know, when we, when we talk about this will of God stuff and see people go to that passage and they say, see, you've got to get saved. You can't get it, do it on your own. It's got to be God's will. And I say, yes, 100%. I can't get saved on my own. I couldn't make the means of salvation. I can't die for my own sins. Only God in his will could have done that by his good pleasure. And God made the means by his grace that no longer is it by works of the law by which all men will be what? Condemned. But that God, by his will, through his grace, which we've talked about, his goodness, his grace and his mercy, has opened up the door for all men, young and old, men and women, thin and fat, hairy and bald, 
to come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. It doesn't matter whether you're dark-skinned or whether you're light-skinned. It's just mind-boggling to me how we don't get a grip on that. John 4, turn with me there. And this is the final passage we're going to be looking at right now. John 4, I want to challenge you to look at those other passages later, though. I'm going to talk about the will of God. John 4, 32-38. Jesus has just talked to, to the, the woman of Samaria at Sichar and telling her about you know God desires um, to be worshipped in spirit and truth. And then he's talking to his disciples afterwards, and they're trying to figure out who fed them. You know? In verse 34, um, we'll start at verse 32, sorry. It says, um, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to, to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will, the desires of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Remember we talked about that, the importance that God's will was to, to Jesus. But what was that will specifically he's talking about here? Well, let's find out. Do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. So clearly he's telling them what? I'm talking about a different harvest. You say there's four months to the harvest. In other words, what? The the, the actual crops aren't ready. But I'm saying to you now, look out to the real harvest. Quit looking at the world in the things of the world, but look at the spiritual side of things that are going on here. Look at the harvest, because what? It's ripe. It's ready. He says, verse 30, um, for they're already white at the harvest. Verse 36, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which also you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Listen, tonight when we go knocking on doors, we may not see anybody come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. It may be a matter of what? The first person putting in the pickaxe and starting to turn over the soil. They may never have the soil turned. The seed never has been planted. You may be going to water. You may be going to fertilize. You may be going to mound the dirt up around the, the, the thing that's getting ready to happen but it may just be that you're the one who gets the privilege of having the fruit drop in your hand that others have labored for for years. Do you get it? One waters and others sows, but God gives the increase. It is God's desire for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? We, including Bob Corbin, reveal how much we believe it by how much we're willing to partner with God in the field. God alone is worthy of our praise and glory. It's he who created us according to his will, his desire. And it's God who's established the method of salvation and then provided the means. God desires all men to be saved. That includes everyone here and everyone in our, in our area. For some of you today, that might mean that today is a day of your salvation. I can look around and say, oh, you know, I can stay, everybody's saved. But I don't know that. You know your own heart. 
and we're not going to have the, the invitation for you to come down the aisle and, and to kneel at the altar and stuff like that. You know what the Bible always says when somebody was pricked by the Holy Spirit? What must I do to be saved? They yearned for it. They didn't have to be what? Prodded to come down. When they heard, when they heard the message, even Paul, in that, remember when Jesus came to him? What was his response? When, when Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, what was Paul's response? Anybody remember? What do you want me to do, Lord? <laughs> Submission. Submission. Because it's God's work. Get it? God's the one who's going to work in your heart. And if you don't know him as your Savior, behold, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day when you could enter into that joy. But for you who are believers, how do your desires line up with God's desires? Do you desire all men to be saved? How great is that desire? Bob is very tunnel visioned. Bob is very myopic and and self-centered. That's me. That's who I am. And it's hard for me to, to comprehend other people living in this world outside of my influence and my interactions with them. When I go to work, it's kind of hard for me to comprehend my family's really doing something during the day. It's almost like they're in freeze frame until I come back. You know, I don't know who moved them into a different location and a different position than when I left that day, but it's almost like they never existed except for when Marcia calls me up and, and, and reminds me that she's actually intimate through the day and she's doing something. Now, those are ones I love. Those are ones I care about, supposedly, right? How much harder it is for me to, to really comprehend the fact that my neighbors are having a life and they're just not freeze-framed into their, into their house except for the, the moments that God wants them to, to come out and interact into the, the Bob's life, you know? you know? So Bob has to work on his desires to line them up with God's desires. To see my neighbors, to see my family, to see people that I interact with from God's perspective. They are all individuals who were created in the image and likeness of God, who are eternal in their being, and will one day be separated from the tent that they're dwelling in now, and will spend the rest of their eternity in the presence of God, or apart from it. Do you believe that? Do you really, really believe that? God did. And so he was willing to die to make the way that they could be part of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your, your faithfulness that before the foundations of the world were laid, before you ever created Adam, in your image and likeness, you knew that giving him his own will, he would desire to serve self. And yet you made him anyway. And you made Eve. And you said it's good. It was good for man to be made in your image and likeness. God, I pray that you would help us to have a hunger and a thirst to be transformed 
to not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed in the renewing of our minds, that we may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, that the world would look at us and they would see what your true desires are. That you desire all men to be saved. And that while we were yet sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. And that we only love you because you first loved us. Lord, we show the world judgment too many times. We want, like James and John, to pour out your wrath upon those who don't receive us. But as you told James and John, you didn't come into the world to destroy the world, but rather you came to save them. Lord, I pray that we would have that, that same attitude, that we would take upon ourselves your desires, that your desires would increasingly become a greater priority in our lives, that our desires would line up with yours. I pray that you would be glorified, Father, through us, through our actions, through our words. And we don't pray this according to our own will, but we pray it according to that of your blessed Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.